preachers. I'm trying to get myself right here on Second Kings. There we go. Second Kings chapter 1. Let's look here in a few verses and we will pray and go to our study tonight. Okay? So it says, Second Kings chapter 1 verse 1, it says, Then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And Hezaiah, there he goes, fell down to a, a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and it was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto him, unto them, Go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Teshbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is no god, not a god in Israel that you go to inquire of Beelzebub? The, the God of Ekron. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. I just pray, Father, as we look to this chapter, pray, Father, that our study will do justice to it. May we take something home tonight, apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so, what we see right here is... Uh, uh, a wonderful or uh, intriguing story right here. So we, the title of the message tonight is The Trail of an Evil King. The Trail of an Evil King. So Elijah, means my God saves, has been, uh, Eli I'm sorry, Eli Elijah, my God saves, has been with Elijah, uh, servant and apprentice for probably around 10 years now, give it or take it. But now time has come for the Lord to call his courageous servant home. But if we look at these two men, Elijah and Elijah, two individual men, we, we can get the impression that they were men with different dispositions. Elijah being the son of thunder and Elijah the gracious healer. So this doesn't mean that Elijah was never tender or Elijah was never stern. For the biblical, for the biblical records shows otherwise. But, but in general, Elijah came like John the Baptist, so to speak, putting the axe to the, to the root and the tree, uh, of the tree, while Elijah uh, followed up with a quiet ministry like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in closing events of this spiritual partnership, we see some revealing truths about the God of Israel. So now, folks, it amazes me how people only like to accept the God who is loving, kind, merciful, gracious, and caring. And let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. As we look at this, I saw some videos this week that I got very disturbed. I don't understand how people sit in certain churches. I was disturbed. I couldn't even sleep at night. Some things that go on in these churches all over this country, it bothered my soul this week. But not part of my lesson. I just want to share with you what's going on in our, our country out there. But anyway, but when it comes down to this sin and how God deals and responds to it, they, won't, they don't want to accept the God of justice. So they want to take the, the good of what God offers, but many of them don't want to admit that they, their wrongdoing is not something that the Lord looks at them with great favor. God would never look at sin with favor. God would never do that. He's too holy and too just. Too, uh, too just to do that. 
But some people just put it this way, oh, my God is a loving God. My God will never allow me to do that. I said, what kind of God are you talking about here? Okay, so, of course, we just went through the introduction of the book. Now we go into dive in this book. So let's look at this book, at this point tonight, from several points in this book, uh, in this chapter, I'm sorry. So, number one, we see an overview of King Hehazai. There you go. I'm having a hard time pronouncing this guy's name. Where's, where's Brother Tom? <laughs> King Ahaziah. So, there are two kings named Ahaziah in the Bible. One rule in the northern kingdom of Israel, and the other in the southern kingdom of, of Judah. So, when you read your Bible, don't confuse those two guys, okay? It's two different guys with, with the same name. In a long line of righteous and unrighteousness, kings, uh, kings that ruled the northern and southern kingdom, these men were both evil kings, those two guys, okay? So, Ahaziah... Ahaziah, there he goes, uh, of Israel was king for from 853 to 852 B.C. So he was the son of Ahab and Jezebel, this guy that we're going to look tonight, who were among the most wicked rulers Israel ever had. So Ahaziah's parents brought uh, Baal worship into the land and turned uh, God's people away from him. Although Ahaziah reigned for only two years, he was just as evil as his parents. So it was nothing different. As mom and dad were evil and the son came along with the same problem. So let's look at letter A. Letter A, we see the conflict with Moab. So 1 Kings 1.1 tells us that there was a conflict with Moab. Look what it says. And Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. So after the, the, the death of his father, this wicked king, Ahab, the nation of Moab, took advantage of Ahaziah here, his son and success, and broke the bounds of uh, that was between them and has chained them to Israel. So in the past, we know a king that defeated Moab, and this king was King David. He defeated Moab back then. And so this became a serious conflict because this wicked king that, that, is, that he goes and tries to, to make a league uh, after warning from God's prophet Je Jehoshaphat, uh, uh, serve, uh, uh, serve, I mean, uh, severe, I'm, serve, I'm sorry, uh, ties with this wicked king right here. We see this in First uh, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 37. But we see this, that the, the Moabites were defeated by, by David in Second Samuel chapter 8, verse 20. So this became a serious conflict right here. So let it be. We see the problem with idolatry. Look what is verse 2. It says, And uh, Hezekiah fell down through the lattice was a uh, and uh, I'm sorry, in his upper chamber that was in Samaria, and he was sick, and he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, where I shall recover, uh, whether I shall recover from this disease. So you see, folks, idolatry is a problem on every age. Idolatry is a problem in every age. Just because we are educated today, we have all kinds of gadgets doesn't mean that idolatry is gone from the heart of man. Okay? Idolatry is as real today as was back then in Bible days. So idolatry is still a problem that many people fall into. There are many people who practice idolatry every day in our world. What's, what's idolatry, idolatry anyway? I'll put it this way. Idolatry is anything that you put between God and yourself. Is anything that you worship more than God. Is anything that you love more than God. 
Some people are sports lovers. Some people are God knows where they are. But they love, the, they put that between God and themselves. And we see right here a, a king on which inherit from his mom and dad the same thing. They worship Baal and this guy continue with the same thing right here. Idolatry. So idolatry is anything that you worship rather than God. This was the problem of King Hezekiah, and it was a problem of his parents as well. So actually, we can say that the peep, the apple, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree here in this passage. You know, mom and dad is wicked; the son is wicked. So the tree is was wicked. So is the fruit right here. So actually, we can say that the people, that, like I said, the apple don't fall far from the tree. What we see is a king following the footsteps of his father. His father was a wicked king, and so was, and so was he. His father uh, was an uh, uh, idolater, and so was he. So a decade or so before the incident of King Ahaziah, uh, Elijah had won the victory again over Baal in 1 Kings 18. But Ahab and Jezebel hadn't been convinced of converting or neither, uh, 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 I'm sorry, have convinced or converted or neither anyone in their family. So when Ahaziah was, was severely injured by falling, he doesn't turn to the God of, of, of Israel to help, he turns to Baal. Why? Because he doesn't believe in the God of Israel anymore, so he goes to, his, the, to the God of idolatry, that's where he's going. So ba Baal simply means Lord. And Lord with a little, not a capital uh, L, a little L. And Baal means, uh, oh, and Beelzebul means uh, Baal is prince. So get this, the devout remnants of in Israel who worship Jehovah made changes in their name and ridiculed the false god to their neighbors. So it goes this way, Beelzebul means the Lord of the dung and Beelzebub means the Lord of the flies. One of the names Jesus' enemies used to insult him during his ministry, Matthew chapter 10, verse 25. So the question is, why did this king decide to send messengers 40 miles away to Ekron to consult the prince or uh, the prince priests of Baal? So true Elijah was slain 450 prophets of Baal before. This was about seven years before this, after this event, around 10 years after this event. I believe that other priests of Baal were available the, in the land of Israel. And the king, parents, Ahab and Jezebel, had fed hundreds of those priests at their table. I believe it would not, uh, it would not, not uh, be difficult for the, the, this king to find those priests in the land. They were somewhere. So perhaps he sent to Ekron for help because he didn't want the people in Samaria to know how really serious he was. He was hurt in, uh, in his health condition. Could have been that way. Try to hold from, uh, uh, hide from the people. But anyway, he didn't go to the prophet, to Elijah. He didn't consult in even his own prayers, consult the God of Israel. He sent messengers away. It's interesting how people put faith in idolatry rather than the true living God. So we see people today worshipping stones, worshipping trees, worshipping the moon, worshipping God knows what, worship everything. But they'll forget to worship the Creator. And God says right here, and even that is a question the prophet asked him, is not a God in Israel? Let me put it this way, is not a God in America today that we have to go to idolatry? Let us see, we see the seriousness of pride. The seriousness of pride. We see the conflict with Moab, the problem with idolatry this king have, 
And now we see his seriousness or the seriousness of pride. Look at verse 3. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tashbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of king of, uh, of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, It is not because there, there is no, not a God in Israel that ye go to inquire of Bezebub, the king of Ekron. It, it is a question mark right there in the end of that, of that whole phrase. He said, hey, don't we, don't we have a king or God in Israel? Why do you have to go 40 miles away to a, a God that don't even listen to you? But you know what? Pride proceeds from a heart who is convinced that he is better than anyone else. A pride heart is a heart that is convinced that he doesn't do anything wrong. A pride heart is a heart that thinks that everybody else is wrong except him. A pride heart is a heart that believes that he's right before God and everybody else is wrong. So a pride heart is a heart who is convinced that he doesn't need God. That is the problem of this king. When the messenger, when the angel tell Elijah the dash by that, and he goes to, he's not a God in Israel, he didn't want to hear. He didn't, we're going to see when we go down this. This King didn't want to hear that message. He, his mind was so arrogant and pride that he was going to consult uh, the god Beelzebub. Or Baal, however you want to put it. Interesting here. So when this king sends messengers to Hikron, the angel of the Lord meets them in the way and asks them the question. It is not because there is not a god in Israel that ye go... And inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ikram. He says, you know what? You guys forgot there is a god in Israel. I mean, we don't have a god in Israel. Why are you going 40 miles away? Obviously, they, they, they went because the king told them so. But anyway, the time said, why are you doing that? In other words, folks, his decision to go and consult with the priest of Baal, 40 miles away from Israel, aroused the anger of the Lord. The Lord was angry. And this was due to their own worship of Baal, which continued to lead the people into sin and idolatry. And let me tell you, folks, we say, well, well, that's the king's problem. No, because this guy right here could force many people to do the same thing. He had the power to do that. And, of course, that was God's people, and God's not going to stay back and say, oh, I'm just going to let this happen. From what I read of this king, it seems... To, uh, to be like one of those these people that you would hire to rake your yard, let alone be king of a nation. This guy, you know, uh, was too short of a, of a guy to even to be a king. But anyway, he seems to be lazy, drunk, and the only thing we know about his reign is the end of it. But then again, he only lasts about two years. That, uh, that's how long he lasts as a king. It seems to me that he was a complicated man to deal with. Now, as we go through life, we meet a lot of people like that, don't we? We meet a lot of complicated people. <laughs> there are those who either inherit money or they uh, were given a position because their parents owned the company or so on. Uh, for the most part, they don't know what they are doing. I meet people like, like that in, in, even in places of work. You, go, you look at them and you go, you have no clue what you're doing, right? So not everyone, like I said, inherits a company uh, is like this, but, but some are. And, had, uh, and that probably explains why the average business doesn't exist beyond the second generation. So Ahaziah was someone with a difficult personality 
He's, he's hard to understand and difficult to get along with. And the question is why? Why are some people so difficult to get along with? Let me explain a few reasons. You ready? Why are some people in our world so difficult to, 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 to deal with? Now, we are here tonight. Do you know people that is difficult to deal with? It doesn't matter how you try to do, what you try to say. You go like, I don't know, you're not getting it. And you explain a million times, you still don't get it. They're difficult people, okay? Some of, some of them are just hot-headed people, okay? But others are just difficult, all right? Don't confuse the two, okay? <laughs> some of them are just hot-headed, okay? Look, let me give you some list of few, okay? Uh, uh, let me give you some. Some people have inherited a, a personality trail. The fact is, Hezekiah didn't have a lot to pick here from when he came... Uh, it came to uh, the, where the gene came from. It came right from his mom and dad. His father was a wimpy and wicked, while his mother was dominant and evil. We can see where he got his negative personality trails, but if he inherited any good points from either of, the, of them, there was no record of it because I don't think neither one of mom and dad was even good people. They were evil. What we see in the Bible is them, them doing evil all the time. So he inherited from mom and dad. Why some people are difficult? Number two, some people are hard to get along with because they have what we might call the natural results of an inherent sin nature. Just as we all have inquired personalities, so we all have our own way of expressing our sin nature. Some people control the sin nature more than others. Some people don't. So let's face it, there are some... Uh, some, even some Christians, like that's why we have Christians who are spiritual filled and are spirit, Christians who are carnal minded Christians. You see, what's the difference? Well, one allows the Spirit to control them, the Spirit of God, and the other one doesn't allow the Spirit of God to control them. They control themselves. And so they have more difficulty with their sin nature. Uh, so, uh, number three, why some people so hard to get along with? There are some people whose lives are marked by bitterness. They, are may, they, are, they, they may have been a time when they made a, hard, a half-hearted commitment to Christ and then they came to the conclusion that Christianity didn't work for them. There are all kinds of situations that happens in their lives and instead of they go on and forgive and go on, you know what they do? They hold grudges and it turns into bitterness and these people become very sour people to deal with. They become very difficult. Did you ever try to, to, to deal with a bitter person? They're not easy to get along. They're very cold, callous. They're very mm, in, inside themselves. When you try to get to them, they don't open up. They're very hard people to deal with. Number four, why some people are hard to get along with? Some might have been victims of unreal expectations. They came to the church expecting people to be perfect or at least better than they, they were and they found people who were a lot like themselves. The truth is, if you hang around here long enough, you just might meet another sinner just like you. Isn't that all where we are? You know, like, well, in church, they, they smile, they dress nice, they smell nice, and they, they act properly. They must be good people and, uh, you know, super Christians. And then stay here a little bit for a little while, you will find out what? They're just sinners like you, saved by the grace of God. That's where we are. Make mistakes, right, like everybody else. 
But see, but some people have high expectations. They have high expectations on themselves, and they expect that everybody else to, to live up to their expectations. You know what? They become hard to deal with because they live in those expectations. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do that. How dare you don't do that? You know what? Those type of people are very hard to deal with. They're difficult because nobody can live up to their standards. Okay? Number five. Some people can be very difficult to get along with in a sense that they agree with everything you say. Who? Some people are just like the wind. Whatever goes, goes. They never disagree with anybody. That's what they do. Number six, there are some people who are just plain, listen to this, selfish. Okay? You know, it is my way or the highway, that's what they're saying. Because of their position, their their. uh, uh their wealth or their family connections, they feel like they have the right to do their own thing and they never uh, have to listen to anyone else. There's one thing that never happens. No one is sinless and there's no one such, and this, I'm sorry, and there is no such thing as an accidental sin. Sin is sin. And I tell you what, some people are very just plain selfish. And I think this guy right here is pretty selfish because here comes a messenger and he doesn't listen. He wants to do what he wants to do. So, let's go to point number two. We see the illness of King Hezaiah. We see this in verse two. It says that he fell in, the, in his, uh, from his upper chamber. Uh, and, and he, from there, he died from that, that. But we see this in 2 Kings uh, 1-2. And we see again in verse four. It says, Now therefore, thou said, The Lord thou shalt not come out of from that bed on which thou art gone up, but, sh- shall, uh, but uh, shall surely die, and Elijah departed. And when the messengers turned back, verse 5, and turned unto him, he said unto them, Why are ye now turned back? The messengers turned back when Elijah gave him that message. And of course, they're going to tell him who it is. So what we know is that this king took a bad fall. And this bad fall was the cause for him to get very ill. Now, it is obvious that in those days, medicine was not as good as today. We know that. But don't take... This for granted because even today people die regardless of how we may have it today. And you know, you can have the best doctor, you can have the best medicine, and you know what? You will die like we are going to die. That is an enemy that we must face and we better be prepared to face it. Otherwise, we will lose. You know why? Because it's going to come a day your name will be called. Saved or unsaved, we will go unless Jesus comes first. So now the question is, why do people get sick? Why do people get sick? All right, class, why do people get sick? You online. I can't hear you, but you can discuss that with somebody else. Why do people get sick? You say, that's a silly question. Is it? Okay. We must be thinking, Pastor, that's a silly question. I'm yelling from the top of my lungs, but I cannot, you cannot hear me. (laughs) Well, now that's obvious. No, no, people get sick because of many things. Poor diets, exposure to chemicals, germs, bacteria, and many other things that we come in contact with. Yes, it is true. But can the Lord allow sickness in us? Can He? We don't want to, we don't want to admit this. We don't want to admit this. But can the Lord allow sickness in us? Or can the Lord use our sickness to teach us a greater truth, to open our eyes, and to redirect our thinking. 
Can the Lord use this sickness on somebody else to make us think how fragile we really are and how, how easy for us to just depart from this world? Can the Lord use that? Yes. Yes. There are five reasons for sickness in Scripture, okay? I want, I want you to take it, okay? Five reasons for sickness. One of the reasons, number one, sickness for the glory of God. You say, what? Oh, go to John chapter 9, verse 1. We're going to see what it says there. There are sickness that the Lord allows for the glory of the Lord. Look what it says in, in John chapter 9, verse 1. And Jesus passed by and saw a woman which was blind from her, uh, uh, saw a man, I'm sorry, which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, or uh, uh, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, answer, Neither had this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Follow that? Okay. God was glorified not only by this man's healing, but by the fact that people appreciate this sight uh, uh, when they saw someone who couldn't see. After all, we have no appreciation of sight until we lose it, right? We don't think much about our eyes until we lose our vision. Or we're about to lose our, our, our sight. Then we appreciate what, what we have. The same thing about any other member of our body. We don't think much about one of our fingers or about an elbow and an arm until we lose it. Okay, so. So this case is for the glory of the Lord right there. And another one right here says in John chapter 11 verse 3 it says, Therefore a sister said unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And Jesus heard and said, and said this, the sickness is not unto death, but that for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified therein. You see, there's another case right here in the Bible, on which the sickness is for the glory of the Lord. So number two, some sickness comes as a matter of chastisement. If you don't go to Psalm 119 verse 71, Psalm 119 verse 71, it says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes. You see, sometimes, you know, it's, it's when we get sick, really sick, that we appreciate who God is. It's sometimes when we get sick, really sick, that we run to the Bible. And the Bible began to make more sense to us, and because we now we are chewing, we are eating the very word of God. It's, it's in times like this when we are sick, very sick, that we actually pray harder or pray more, believing more. You see, it is in those times of sickness that, you know, we go in the wrong way and the Lord said, I'm going to allow this to happen to you or, or, or the sickness that you have, I'm going to use to chastise you so you remember who I am. You see, this happens. We don't want to admit that, but that's the truth of Scripture. Number three, sickness to keep us humble. There are some sickness that happens to us. The Lord allows to come to our body that just to humble us. Paul refers to as the thorn in the flesh. There was something he, sa uh, he says God gave him to keep him humble. We don't know exactly what it, what it was. There's many speculations about what Paul had, but we don't know. Whatever it was, it didn't uh, he didn't want at first, and then God explained it that it, 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 that was for his own benefit, to keep him humble. You know, look what it says. Actually, go to 2 Corinthians 12, 7. It says, At least I should be exalted above measure 
through the abundance of revelation that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I, bes I besought of the Lord thrice, so he asked the Lord three times, that he might depart from, he might depart from me. And the Lord says in verse 9, it says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So we see, it is a type of sickness right here, given to Paul, to keep him humble. You know what? Sometimes, you know, when we think we can conquer the world, we can over subdue the world, we can do all kinds of things, and it takes a little sickness, and we realize we're not that strong, and we need to just humble ourselves. Okay? Sometimes those, those, I'm not saying, was, you might be at home saying, I'm sick, that's my problem. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying what the Bible talks about, certain type of illness, what the, Bible, the way the Bible describes. So, did you know that most people wish they could look like someone else? <laughs> we are what we are because God made us what we are for a reason. And, so, and someday we will understand why He did what, the way He did. So, humbleness. Be content for who you are. Don't try to be me. I don't want to be you. <laughs> you follow that? Humbleness. If we humble ourselves, we realize, Lord, thank you for making me the way I am. I don't think I'm that handsome, but Lord, I am, I am beautiful in your eyes. Number four. There is sickness unto death. This simply means that God takes people to their reward and uh, and that reward is either heaven or hell. Everyone dies. So far, so far the count is 10 out of 10. Nobody stays behind. We often say that when someone uh, young dies, that they have died before their time. Is that true? No. You say, oh, that died so young. Oh, he had so many years of life ahead of him or ahead of her. Why did they die so young? Because it was their time. God called them. We have an appointment with our maker either... In the early years or in the later years. But it's 10 out of 10. Everybody dies. So keep in mind that there is so much, uh, no such thing as purgatory here, okay? Purgatory is not such thing, does not exist. It's just a man-made place. There is a place called heaven, there is a place called hell, and that's where people go and they die, either place. So God has plenty of reasons for sickness in, in hell. Isaiah's sickness was, was to get his attention. But you know what? He didn't, want, he didn't want to give his attention to God. He died with his own selfishness and his own arrogance. He didn't want nothing to do with God. So I believe God wanted to talk to him. And really, it was an act of mercy in the part of God. To keep him sick that long so he could turn up to... You know, let me put it this way. I think, I would think, I would say... Just me. I th used to think that way. Then when people get sick, they literally kind of humble themselves, see life different way because they see how fragile they are. They're hurting. They're sick. They have some issues with them. But you know one thing that I realized and I saw? Actually, that's not the way that people see themselves. I remember when I was taking, uh, when I was taking chemo and I went to, to one of my treatments to take chemo. Actually, I'm sorry. That was, no, I was taking chemo in my back. That was before I went to regular chemo. I was injected in my back. So I went to one of those injections. And when I was there, this interesting thing was, was very interesting, is that the person came in, a, a young man came in, and what happened there was, 
he, he sat down, started reading the newspaper. Then he looks at me and he says, you know, uh, the doctor diagnosed me with cancer. I said, well, I'm so sorry. Well, I was there with the same issue. Well, uh, I'm so sorry. He goes, he looks at me and said, you know what? He, he began to read the paper. Then, then he looked over the newspaper, the part took the newspaper, then looks at me and said, you know what? I don't have time for this. I have better things to do than listen to doctors. He walked out the door. I said, wow. <laughs> he just like, he just get all this arrogance and walk out the door like he was going to fix himself. No, you know what? If you're sick that way, you're not going to fix yourself. You eventually will die from it. So, there is a sickness unto death. We, people, listen, people think that, that they do what they want to do, live the way they want to live, and God is oblivious to what's going on. But the thing is not true. You see, C.S. Lewis said, God whispers in our, in our pleasures, but he shuts, shuts in our pain. God could uh, just kill him instantly, this king right here, but he chooses not to because he wants his attention. And I tell you what, the Lord allows sickness or use the sickness that we have in our lives just to get our attention. See how fragile we really are because if we think we're going to last forever, we don't. So let's point no, go to point number three. We see the response of King Hezekiah. So he gets the message, from, message the messengers coming back. Now, how does he respond? Look at verse three. But the angel of the Lord said, said uh, to Elijah the Tashbite, Arise and go up to meet the messengers of, king, of the king of Samaria and say unto them, it is not because there is a God, is not a God in Israel that you go to inquire in Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. So he sent a messenger to Beelzebub right here. It seems strange to say that to say it, but God sent him a mess a message. You respond to his decision. So God was away. You know one thing is, folks. I'll put it this way: some people think that God doesn't hear. Some people think that God doesn't listen. That God is oblivious. God is out there, and nobody and doesn't know what's going on on earth. You know what? God is very aware of what's going on in your life and my life. And right here, this guy sends to a, a, to a, 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 a idolater priest over there, 40 miles away, and God, God puts a messenger in the middle. Let me talk to you about it. You see, he is the second generation of his family to worship some form of Baal right here. Surely he had heard of everything that had happened to his father. His father was a wicked man. His mother was even wicked than his father. So I mean, there it was no. Uh, I mean, there was no television, no computers, no cell phones, no newspapers. So they probably talk about everything that took place, and especially when a prophet of God not only does miracles but leads the people to kill themselves, uh, uh, kill hundreds of of the prophets of Baal. I'm sure that he was more than familiar with the ministry of them of. And, uh, and the message of Elijah, because he heard of it. But as they say, the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. What might have converted others just happened to harden other people's hearts. You see, the, the message of the gospel is a wonderful message. Okay? The message of the gospel is a message that's supposed to penetrate people's hearts and change their hearts into hearts of love and hearts for God and make a transformation in their lives. But many times the gospel message, instead of doing that to people's hearts, what it does, it hardens people's hearts because they resist God and they say, I don't want you. Neither I want your message. And instead of they getting tender and getting saved and going to heaven someday, they get hard. And they fight against God's people, against God's word, and against God himself. 
You see, this guy right here saw the wickedness of his mother, saw the wickedness of his father. He didn't try to change. He just followed the course just like mom and dad. So rather than turning to God, this king right here, Ahaziah, turned to the occult. I tell you folks, listen, some people get themselves in some type of, of, of cults, but go to your cult, that's the worst thing you can do. You don't know what you're playing with. You see, he sent his messengers to Beelzebub, who was also as the Lord, little G Lord, uh, or little L Lord, of the flies that carries, uh, that carries of disease. Now, there is no a polite way to say this, but Beelzebub is literally something that you don't want to get involved with. They were worshipping something that was absolute repulsive. Maybe it was the only way that uh, Hezekiah thought he could make a deal with uh, the Grim Reaper. Who knows? But he said, but, but the angel says, he's not a God in Israel. Why are you going to look at that way? Let me put it this way. The message is the same for, for people in this world today. Don't we have a Bible? Don't we have a living God? Why are you going to these dead gods that don't exist? You say, which dead gods? I can give you a slew of them. By name, I can tell you. Listen, there's only one God. There's Jehovah. There's only one Lord, one Creator. But people think somehow there's a whole bunch of gods, and they go to those, and God says, why are you going to this and this and this? Why don't you read my word? So I can change you. See, Elijah stopped his messengers with a challenge when he said, there is there no God in Israel that, that you must consult with such a pagan deity as Beelzebub? Then he said, then he said go back to the place and tell Ahaziah that he shall surely die. So there was a message like this, okay, there's no God in Israel. He gave him the message. Go back to the king and tell him, you know what? The sickness that he had, you will die from it. You know what? When God puts that stamp on a person, they don't care what doctor person goes to. That person is doomed. You see, but, but if I inherit his father's taste in religion, he also inherit his mother's arrogance. And he was an arrogant man. For all they heard and saw, they never learned one thing that they certainly didn't pass anything good to their son. So it is not only like father, like son here, but it's like, father, like mother, like son. Can you imagine? Sometimes you say, well, if all my kid only be like me. Sometimes you don't want your kid to be like you. So let A, we see the reaction. What, what was the, okay. The king got the message from, from, from the, the prophet. The king got the message. How did he react? Let's look at the area. Look at verse 9. Then the king sent him unto him a captain of 50 with the 50. Look at verse 11. And again he, he sent unto him another captain of 50 with his 50. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thou hast the king said, come down quickly. Look again in verse 13. And he sent again a captain of the uh, third 50 with his 50. So he sent three groups of people of 50 50 people, 50 soldiers, to go get Elijah. You think they went there to get Elijah just to come and have a nice uh, dinner at the palace? And, you know, have a good time with the king? I mean, you read that, you might think that, you know, I just want to invite him to come see the king. I don't think so. So the king sent, sends for Elijah, and this was not an invitation to have some tea. He sent the captain in 50, then 
they went, they went there to capture him. They were to bring him back captive, and the king would probably make him an example out of him. He wanted to show Elijah his power and maybe force him to change his message and humble him in front of the people. We see the, 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 first, guy, the first guy that he sent. We see the second guy that he sent. And then we see the third guy that he sent. He sent three groups of people right here. Let it be, we see the arrogance. Not only see the reaction, but we see his arrogance right here. Look at this king's arrogance as he gives the command to his captain. Look at verse 9. Thou man of God, the king had said, calm down. Is that an invitation or a demand? How you would take that? I'll take that as a demand. Look at verse 11. O man of God, thou hast, the king said, calm down quickly. No, you're not like, you know, calm down. Calm down quickly. You see the arrogance or pride in, script, in Scripture. First, we see the example of Satan. I mean, this guy right here is arrogant as can be. But we know what what arrogance and pride came from, came from Satan himself. Actually, in Isaiah 14, 12, it says, says these words, Thou art thou fallen from heaven, o, from heaven, I'm sorry, O Lucifer, the son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou, for thou hast said in thine heart, look what he says, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt as all my, uh, my throne above the stars of God, I will sit down upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet I shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. You see, pride and arrogance started with Satan, and this king right here is doing exactly the same thing. You know what? And everybody that is pride and arrogant in this world, you know who they imitate? Satan himself. Our God is not an arrogant God. He's humble, kind, and loving, and merciful. Satan, on the other hand, you know what? His, you know his mission? He wants to dethrone God. That's what he wants to do. So he's arrogant and pride. So when you see people out there who are acting very pride and arrogant, you know who they resemble? They resemble Satan. I'm not calling them Satan, but they resemble him. So folks, pride came before the fall of man. Unto sin. Satan was the first example of pride, but certainly is not the last. We also see Goliath, as he came to fight David, he said these words, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. You see, you see, people, the arrogance of people goes over and over through our world. You see, we come to the New Testament, we see the Pharisees. These people are well, hard to understand. They be, they believed in the. Uh, I'm sorry. They believed in in a, a in study the Bible. As a fact, we are told that they had memorized 160 chapters of Scripture of the Old Testament. That was part of their training. They debated with the Sadducees over the issues of the end times because they believed in a Messiah coming before the end of the world. They had everything they needed to be saved, but they they wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, go search the scriptures, because it's written of me. What scriptures was Jesus was talking about? The Old Testament scriptures. They're too arrogant. They were too arrogant, too prideful. They refused to do it. You see, pride always comes before the fall. And in one, we, our world is full of prideful people. I tell you what, our world is full, full of arrogant, prideful people. Notice that there's a request here in these verses right here. Let's go to point number four. We see the, the instruction given to King 
Ahaziah. We see this in verse 15 and verse 16. And the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, Go down with him, be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him, uh, with him unto the king. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ikram, it is not because there is not a god in Israel to inquire of his word. Therefore thou shalt not come down of that bed on which thou art gone up, but, thou, but, uh, I'm sorry, but, shall, uh, but shall surely die. Someone said that the scripture says, Fear not, in one form or another, 140 times, I believe, I didn't count it, but around that, the scripture says, Fear not, fear not. And we see right here, when the messenger is given to Elijah, says, Be not afraid of him. Do you think, let me put it this way. We read these stories, we think, Oh, okay, why is he going to be afraid? Then listen, he is going in front of a king. A man with ultimate power that could say, kill him. And he'll be dead in the spot. And the angel of the Lord said to him, you go, don't be afraid. We will take care of you. We'll protect you. And he went. You see right there in verse 15, it says, be not afraid of him. So Elijah went there with no fear. So as you see uh, uh, before, Elijah was a man just like me and you. Uh, Elijah was not a superhero or a super Christian or a super prophet. He was just a, a man made out of flesh and blood like, like me and you. And the Lord used him. And he says, Elijah, don't be afraid. He was someone with all the problems that you and I wrestle every day. But in spite of his past, Elijah was willing to go and willing to do what he was told to do. I think it's safe to say that Elijah probably didn't want to go because of fear. This was not a, vo a volunteer mission here. It was a mission that he could lose his life. I mean, it was much easier to serve the Lord on the mountaintop uh, by ourselves, isn't it, than tell others about it. Just like it is much easier to be, to be concerned about the lost when we are on, in a prayer meeting than go out there. It is easy to, to, to love people when they're not around us. I'm trying to say is that Elijah was a man with emotions and feelings just like me and you. And when the message was given, he was afraid. Isn't that true? It's easy to love people when they're not around. It's easy to pray for the lost when we are in a prayer meeting. It's easy to do those things. When it comes to go and do, that's one gets a little more touchy. So, let's go to our point number five. We see the death of King Ahaziah. Look what it says. So he died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah has spoken. And Jehoram reigned in his stead in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because he had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are then are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. See, uh, 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 Elijah went with the captain and with his 50. Does anybody have a phone on? If you have a phone on, you might, might want to turn it off, please. Or go outside, please. So, uh, Elijah went with the captain and his 50, and he just repeated his message word for word. It was as simple as saying, you are, you are, your time is up. And I'm telling you, when we have a message from the Lord, we have a message from the Lord. Repeat it word for word. You know what? I'm not going to add to a Bible verse. 
I, I have it, I deliver as is. That's the way it should be done. So well, but if I had this thing, maybe the person will get saved. No, you tell him the word of the Lord and let him chew on it. You see, it's hard to believe, but some people's hearts are so hard that they don't turn down. They don't turn down for the opportunities of life. You want to see right here, this king died without ever consulting the Lord. Can you imagine that? The Lord stopped the messengers. Elijah went to in front of him and delivered him the message that came from the mouth of God. And this man never repented, never turned his ways, and died that way. And you say, well, you know, there are people like this. Ah, uh, before I die, I get saved. Be careful with that statement. Before I die, I get saved. Ah, don't bother me. I take care of myself. You know, people are so hard, they don't want nothing to do with God. And God sends His messengers over and over again and say, Listen, open your eyes, open your heart. I'm telling you it's going to happen to you. You know what they do? I get saved someday. I don't have time for this right now. You know what? I'm doing too many. I'm too busy with life. And they die on their sin, just like this man did. You know, this man at the messenger... This man had everything, had the opportunity to, to go to the Lord, the God of Israel, and repent, and the Lord would take that disease away from him. You know what? He refused to do that. He won Baal. He won idolatry. That's what he wanted. You know what? Our world is full of idolaters. When he talked to them about the Lord, I'm all sad. When he, you, you, you witness about, or try, invite them to church, all oh, churches for sissies, a bunch of hypocrites in the church. The church just wants, wants my money. Really? That's all the excuses that they use. You know what? And when they die, they're good people. They're all good people. You know what? Everybody, I never see a bad person die. Everybody's good. Everybody's good. It's unbelievable. You know, so anyway. So what we see right here is this. So it is hard to believe that people, literally before they die, they die with such hard, callous hearts. But you know what? It's the truth. It's the truth. People put their fist at God. And they say, I don't want your love. I don't want your peace. I don't want your salvation. I'll take care of myself. Wow. Let me give you an example of somebody like this. This pastor friend of mine shared this event not long ago. He said, I went to see a man in the hospital one night. One of his relatives asked me to visit him. But first he warned me that this man was a hard man to deal with. He says, this man is not a good person. I went and I sat down and chatted for a few minutes and found him quite friendly. He told me about his physical problems and I expressed my concerns. We got along very well and I wonder what uh, my friend was wondering about and said, I, thought, I even thought you made a mistake. Then he said, after a little while, I took my New Testament Bible and asked if he would mind if I read a few verses to him. He didn't answer. He just looked at me like a ferocious, mean dog, angry. He said, I could see the anger right written on his face. He was ready to bite me. The, 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 the 
pastor friend said to, said, said to me, he said, I ignored him. I read the scripture. I prayed for him. And he said, he's dead now. And I wonder if he's still angry. If he's still putting his fist at God the way he did that day. Folks, that's the way many people die. That's the way many people view God. When, they, when, you, when you talk to them about Jesus, their reaction is anger. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Why am I saying this? There was a king right here on which did many things, but right there he got very sick. He went and consulted Beelzebub, the occult, something that we shouldn't even get ourselves involved with. But he goes consult this stuff. And God put his angels there. He sent a messenger to stop the people to go consult with this, this deity. And he sends Elijah to give him a message. Is not there a God in Israel that you can go to? And you know what? The men died without going to the God of Israel. Isn't that sad? Folks, they say, well, can you apply this to our life today? How many people, how many people that I have witnessed? How many people that you have witnessed? How many people that you online have witnessed? How would you tell them about the saving, the saver, I mean the savior, I'm sorry, the Lord Jesus Christ and what they do? I'm all set. Don't you ever talk about that name again. Don't you ever invite me to go to your church. They go on and on and on. They want nothing to do with that. How many of them have died in that condition? And you now you wonder, you say, I hope that person one day in their life received Jesus as Savior. We don't know. But I tell you what, even today as I'm speaking, the gospel goes like this. The gospel goes out. The message of salvation goes out. And some people open their hearts and they receive it. But others, they close their hearts, they put locks and more locks in there, and they harden their hearts, and they say to God, you're not welcome here. And now Jesus says, I'm knocking on your door. Why don't you open the door let me come in? It's right in Revelation. You know what they do? They lock it up over and over again. And they say to Jesus, I don't want you here. Get out. That's what this guy did. He said to God, I don't want your message. I don't want your prophet. I don't want nothing from you. I have Baal. Wow. So I conclude with this. Why do we resist God? Why we don't obey God's message? Listen, folks. We have what we call the Bible, the Word of God. Why don't we take it at face value and live it the way God intends us to live? Why people don't receive the message of salvation? You know why? Because the wickedness of their hearts. That's what it is. Folks, may we not be like this king. May we be tender. May we be forgiving. May we listen to the voice of the Lord. And when the Lord speaks, we say, Hear my Lord, send me. And those who are not saved, when they hear the message of salvation, may they open the, their hearts and minds and say, Lord, come in, forgive me of my sin. And come in, save me, Lord. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this passage of